Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill in Overton, Hampshire and across the pond in sunny old London tan is Mr. Renfrey Dedman. Hello, Renfrey. How are you doing? Hello. Um, this is new, isn't it? I'm doing okay, man. Um, I'm, I'm at yeah. I'm uh, in sunny and it is sunny, sunny southeast London, uh, looking at your lovely mug in Overton over Skype. Yeah, it's it's sort of different. I mean, we did say this is not something that we wanted to ever happen. Mm. Um, us doing this remotely, I think, you know, it's not the ideal scenario. But of course, you know what's going on right now. Um, I had to move within a space of a week room for it. It was like something from a sort of horror film, uh, like a disaster movie, me moving out of my house. Um, you did it. But fucked off out of Greenwich and I've moved back to the country. That happened within a space of like five days and if that was the most mental thing that had happened in the last few days it would all be sort of fine but actually the world's gone really really mental over the last week and it's genuinely quite scary i think yeah uh it's uh it's it's just an absolutely mad situation which is very very difficult to actually comprehend um and feels you know that whole cliche of it feeling like a movie but it really does and it's difficult to uh yeah it's difficult to not to accept that it's real it's bonkers Mm. but we should talk about that should we because you've probably heard loads oh yeah you've heard loads of it i mean it does feel like a movie the most annoying thing about that particular movie is i feel like an extra who's just going to walk by in the background of some main scene and just drop down dead and like i don't feel like the lead fucking role of that movie i feel like (laughs) like a a fucking not even a supporting cast member we're not going to dwell on it too much So um, this week on the show, we're going to be reviewing new albums from Pearl Jam, from Nine Inch Nails, from Milk Teeth, from Igor and from Iris. Plus, in Broken Records, our next entry into finding the worst album of all time is Lou Reed's 1975 commercial suicide metal machine music. Um, We should also say thanks to our friends at Musicism, as we said last week, probably the best time ever to be signing up for Musicism at the moment. You go over to musicism.net, you can take in all of their courses. Uh, they actually have a brand new course at the moment. So if you're a guitarist, then uh, your ear should prick up at this point. It covers advanced scales and chords, perfect variety, more complex and interesting chord progressions and improving your improvisation. Um, that's something that you and I are both familiar with, Renfrey, as drama students of the past. Uh, we know about improvisation, don't we? Oh, yes. Always, always yeah. say yes. Don't ever say no. That's the main rule of improvisation, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is, isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, old Keith Johnston over there. Um, <laughs> that's a well drama school joke. Um, anyway, uh, you can still get twenty five percent off of all of their courses, including that new one that I just spoke to. Um, when spoke to spoke about when you put in riot in capital letters in the checkout. So what are you waiting for? I'm actually thinking about learning an instrument, but I haven't decided which one yet. Oh, really? Yeah, I think yeah. Would, thought I might do. I think you would suit a oboe. <laughs> well, uh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, Renfrey. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you're comparing me. You need, to, you need to play something bassy. You either need to be I a do. bassist or, or you should play double bass. Learn double bass. That'd be awesome. Well, the thing about this is, is yes, but 
I've got really small hands. It's actually something I pointed out to Matt Heafy. We've got, look how small my hands are. I've got really small hands. It's something I pointed out to Matt Heafy. And I said, because he was like, I'll give you guitar lessons. I was like, I can't do it, Matt. I'm not getting guitar lessons off Matt Heafy when he's like the best bloody metal guitarist around at the moment. Or Twitch for six hours a day playing all these fucking widdly widdly solos. And I can't even reach, you know, the third fret with my little finger. It's pathetic. Have, a, have we ever discussed how, so my hands... I have large adult palms and tiny children. You do. I think we have. To- oh yeah. It's funny on on Skype. It comes across very well. I've never noticed it in real life before. <laughs> this is not but on Skype. Yeah. <laughs> really. You talk about me. Really. Really accentuates your stubby fingers. Skype does. So maybe we'll do it on Zoom next week. Um, also, we want to say we, we launched the um, the new tier on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast is where you can go if you want to help the show out financially. We would obviously massively appreciate any kind of commitment that you make to us at the moment. If you put in between £1 and £4.99, we have a whole bunch of Rioters reviews from the likes of the Magic Preachers, Nick Cave, Bonnevere, Oasis, Type of Negative, Devin Townsend, Cattle Decapitation, the Oliver Stone um, movie, Natural Born Killers soundtrack as composed by Trent Reznor. Uh, we've just done Screaming Trees, um, Sweet Oblivion. Have, have we not? Yes, we have. And um, we've... We have. Okay, okay. Well, we, we, we it will be up. And, um, you know, so there are a whole bunch of them that are there, and we're going to keep on doing those since we've got quite a lot of time in our hands at the moment. And um, anything above that, the £5 tier, the brand new £5 tier gives you access to the classic album series that we're doing. Two of them have gone up as we record. One for our patrons, which is me, Renfrey and Merlin, Alderslade of Metal Hammer talking about Antichrist Superstar. But we actually put out the first one for free, which was uh, Renfrey and I speaking about one of his favourite albums, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 2. And people seemed like they really liked it. And I tell you what, I was more than happy about Renfrey was the reaction to both of our playlists when we created a singular album from Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 set like turning it into one record mine seems to have gone down very well with the fans it has but okay look here's my defense here you're the more casual Guns N' Roses fan out of the two of us oh well the arrogance yeah oh yeah of course yeah it's... So i feel like because there are certain there's a lot of people saying no november rain on your playlist and it's it's true there is no november rain mm. because i've heard it to death i've heard it wow. so many times i've heard it a lot as well you look I, i'm you're not going to get me saying november rain's a bad song because i think it's fucking brilliant and it is one of those songs that it comes on, I'm like, oh, I've heard this a million times. But then once it gets to Slash's solo at the end, I'm always like, don't you think you need somebody? Yeah, I'm banging. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. It's brilliant. Um, but, you know, it's a it's a hard task. Um, I, 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 I thought it was a good thing to do just because it shows how difficult it is to actually truncate Use Your Illusion into one disc. Yeah. yeah. It is, you know, mm. it is difficult. Um, but, yes. I mean, mine was basically like three hours long anyway. It was just both of the albums just put in a different order. But so your, yours is yours is exactly eighty minutes, which is <laughs> I know. use of space for the disc. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I was I was kind of annoyed that you'd actually been so kind of you'd been been so um, 
Uh, oh, God, I can't even think of the word. We're recording in the morning. I do apologize. I'm not used to mm. thinking of words in the morning. But uh, it's, actually, it's actually the afternoon, by the way. Everyone. Oh, fuck it. Oh, it feels yeah. like... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Oh, just, no. just feels like, just feels like the morning to Renfrew because he hasn't got up <laughs> earlier than one in the afternoon for about eighteen months now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well Go done. On. Your playlist is great. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. And you can listen to what I picked off the top of my head, perfectly sequenced, just off the top of my head. Renfrew actually wrote his down in advance, and yet. Still minds better. That's I don't know how that ended up happening, but funny that and it's odd. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's up for free now. But like I say, if you do go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, you can sign up now for the uh the five pound tier, get access to those classic albums. All right, um, let's do some live reviews. Ah, oh, we can't really give you any live reviews, but I tell you what we can do. We can promise you a live show because we're very, very lucky and very honored to be hosting um a live show from nervous on the 31st of march tuesday that's this coming tuesday if you listen to this podcast when it first goes up um tuesday 31st of march m from nervous will be taking over our instagram page she's doing a virtual tour in fact i'm going to give you the full tour dates of that virtual tour soho radio's website on the 29th uh the lp cafe's instagram page on the 30th riot acts instagram on the 31st and nervous's facebook page on the 1st of April. Just a really, one of many really, really cool ideas that bands have come up with whilst all this shit show has been going on. I think that's one thing that we can go, you know, it's great that bands are becoming massively creative and not letting this just completely shut them down. That's that's at least one little nugget of some positivity to hold on to, isn't it? I'm really thrilled at the amount of new free music that has been released in the last few days. Uh, just sort of in a, whether it be bands who had projects that they were going to release anyway, or bands looking through their archives or looking through B-sides or unreleased material and just going, well, hey, let's just give something away for free whilst people are locked up and don't have anything better to do. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about the Nine Inch Nails record, obviously, in a bit. Um, but I saw Pine release something this morning, which mm-hmm. I haven't heard yet, but sounds great. You know, um, there's been so many bands just releasing odds and sods and bits and pieces. And it's been really cool to collate and go through um, in between me Absolutely. listening to the new Pearl Jam album. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so... Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say, you know, the the most important thing is that you um, support these artists financially if you can as well. You know, um, if you do come over to our Instagram on Tuesday and you watch M and you enjoy it, go over to the Nervous website afterwards and order the vinyl, buy a T-shirt, buy a hoodie, you know, do something like that. That is absolutely the most important thing. And kind of now more than ever, those bands and their crew. I saw today the Deftones... um, announcement that was they're doing a whole new line of merch and all of the profits from it are going to go to their crew members that can't tour with them because they're you know stuck at home so again fucking brilliant like obviously deftones just one of the great bands and clearly excellent people as well so yeah man there's been a lot to be positive about i think yeah oh absolutely it's really really i mean it's just we've had a lot of these kind of um disasters maybe is too strong a word but there's been a lot of very testing times recently where uh, people have had to come together 
and you've seen the good side of humanity as a result of these uh not very good things happening and it's it's really encouraging to see that that's still happening even with this mm. uh, outbreak yeah for sure i think it is you know it's um it's uh it is it's not much of a silver lining in reality in the grand scheme of things but music and live music and you know going to watch bands and stuff is still something that people are going to want to do when all this happens and we got to make sure that while all this is going on bands have a responsibility to not a responsibility but i think bands should want to con- to to do everything they possibly can to still connect with people and i think most of them are doing that i think bands have a, do have a responsibility to look after the people that they employ if they can if they can obviously we're not talking about you know little tiny bands who take a couple of crew members out and do it part-time like obviously i'm not talking about them but the bands like deftones i'm sure pearl jam would end up doing something very similar metallica um those big bands you know maiden yeah like and, and i'm sure they will um and then when everything goes back to normal or as whatever the new normal is going to be um you know I, I we just hope that there are as many of these bands left playing and together as as possibly there can be because like make no mistake about this i think some bands will have to split up I think some people, some bands are going to, some labels, maybe some venues, they're going to struggle to come back ever. And, you know, that, that is the sort of the sad reality of the situation, isn't it? That is a very, um, you, well, yeah, look, you've just made me very sad, Steve, but, uh, Sorry, I, mate. made me sad because I haven't really considered that up to now because no one's really said that yet. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. Um, some some bands in particular and venues and and so on and so forth maybe labels as well um probably won't be able to come back from this because it is quite disastrous for small bands and diy operations and so on and so forth so uh quite sadly yeah we may see some some bands uh splitting up before their time but then yeah unfortunately that's just what happens with these things Mm. i think Mm. But we have a responsibility, as I said, the bands have a responsibility to try and carry on. We have a responsibility to make that as easy for them as possible by actually, you know, I think rock and metal and alternative music fans and punk fans are good at dipping their hand in their pocket and actually getting a physical something. And I would um, I would just say, I mean, maybe uh, like I think neither me nor Steve like to tell you guys how what to do with your money and you know we don't no. have a right to but if you do feel like helping bands out at the moment maybe if you listen to a whole album on Spotify just at the moment maybe consider giving that band that you just listened to a pound like or because like most bands have a especially small ones have a PayPal uh, address that you can send money to so just give them a pound there or maybe if you're missing shows pick up a few uh either live uh dvds or you can usually get digital downloads of shows sometimes you know um watch watch get a couple of beers if you can and watch them from the comfort of your own home you know i've watched loads of live footage recent uh in the last few days just sort of because i've been missing going to gigs yeah um, and yeah. it's been awesome it's been really cool like mm. uh mike venart mm 
put up a bunch of Oceanside shows, which was fucking heaven for me. Uh, I've been going through some Radiohead footage for something else that we're going to do. I've been, you know, um, watching some Glastonbury stuff. Uh, it's been a nice few days. Yeah, yeah. And I should say as well, Parkway Drive have released the um, Viva the Underdog uh, documentary because the soundtrack to that, which is them live at Varken, is out today as we record this show. Um, we couldn't, we just, we couldn't quite fit it on the, the review schedule, um, but it was something that we were going to be reviewing, but you can go and watch that on, on YouTube now, the, the full Parkway Drive documentary. So, you know, like fucking fair play to those guys. And uh, again, if you go on YouTube and watch it, buy a, buy a Parkway hoodie, you know, go and buy fucking deep blue on CD or something like just, just do that. And, um, you know, I, I really, I might start doing something every time, like you say, every time you listen to an album on Spotify or every time you listen to an artist actually buying a piece of their merch or actually donating something to them every time you listen to them. I think that's a really, really good thing to do. Good idea, Renfrey. It's just an idea. And like, you know, not everyone's going to be able to manage to do that. And I, I was sort of suggesting a pound because I don't know if you listen to three or four albums in the day, um, mm-hmm. that all adds up after a while. But it's just a nice gesture that will go hopefully a long way and might even be the difference between some of these bands staying around and some of them not. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. Well, you know, crazy times, crazy times, but as you know, with the, with the negatives also come the positives. One big positive thing is there is a brand new record from your your favorite band, Renfri. Pearl Jams, Gigaton is out right now for you to listen to. Uh, It is the 11th studio album by the Seattle grunge originators. Although, you know, we've discussed many times from episode zero on this podcast, grunge, although it is not a genre of music. When I think of what grunge kind of sounds like, it's been a little while since Pearl Jam have really sounded like a quote-unquote grunge band, really, isn't it? I would argue it's... Uh, I think Versus is the last album that sounded like what people view as grunge music. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, so Pearl Jam have kind of left grunge way behind uh, nearly a quarter of a century ago essentially and it's almost it's almost you are not long after they formed it's almost yeah. the same yeah, as true. um metallica leaving behind thrash metal. that's true um so in fact pearl jam have an entire back catalogue of uh a very varied um often exceptional uh sometimes for my money not so exceptional albums and music and records and i gotta be honest i've really not cared about a new pearl jam album since their self-titled album in 2006 now bearing in mind only backspace backspacer and lightning bolt have come after that um that only looks like kind of two albums but it's actually 14 years so it's quite a long time so um I went into this with a little bit of trepidation uh, personally, but they're not my favourite band ever, Renfri. So how excited were you for a new Pearl Jam record? It's safe to say that I went in with a lot of trepidation because um, I wouldn't dismiss both of those albums um, that you were talking about, um, Backspacer and Lightning Bolt, the previous two. But I would say that Lightning Bolt 
their previous record from seven years ago is my least favorite Pearl Jam album. And Backspacer, I don't mind Backspacer. It's a very slight album. It's only 35 minutes. It's very short, sharp, punchy. Um, but when you've got sort of four, five, six, seven year gaps between records, just getting something which is like half an hour long, <laughs> 11 tracks, bang, bang, bang. It felt, it felt a little slight to me. So yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's fair. I was very cautious, to be honest, approaching this record. I've um, banged on about Pearl Jam being my favorite band a lot on this, um, on this podcast. And uh, I was a little fearful of a Muse situation. Uh, where I mm. uh, insisted that Muse be in our prog bands of back on episode zero. And then unfortunately, the first thing that they released after insisting that they be uh, revered in such an incredible category was Simulation Theory, which was a big pile of wank. Oh, yeah, it wasn't it? terrible, wasn't it? it? Made you look like an idiot, didn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... Yeah, I mean, I I don't really like Muse, so, you know, I was happy to have them in that. But anyway, let's not talk. Oh, fucking hell, why are we going to talk about Muse? It's not going to happen. Um, essentially, that is a bad Muse album. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Really bad. Mate, that that would be a... That would, that would be a bad Cold Chamber album, right? That is how bad that is. That is a bad, bad record by anybody's standards. Um... So anyway, um, 2006 was really the last time I cared about or enjoyed a Pearl Jam album. And I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I do quite like the self-titled one. I think it's, I think it's got some really, really good songs in it, but it's not my go-to place for Pearl Jam, essentially. Um, but then the first single, Dance of the Clairvoyance, came out and got me really, really excited in a way that I hadn't been excited about Pearl Jam for a long time. It is, as has been pointed out loads, well like Talking Heads. And that, as a concept, Pearl Jam making a kind of post, a sort of art rock, post-punk record. I mean, on paper, it feels like it shouldn't really work. But that song is great. It's fantastic, isn't it? Um, Pearl Jam has become mm. quite renowned, I think, um, for certainly since the 21st century. I think pretty much with every album they've released, the first single is always a little bit off kilter, a little bit weird, a little bit odd. Um, yeah. For um, Binaural, it was Nothing As It Seems. Uh, for Riot Act, it was I Am Mine. Um, Backspace of the Fix, I suppose The Fix is fairly straight ahead, but you know, they uh, the last record, it was um, Sirens, which is a pretty odd first single for that album, you know. Um, and then they tend to follow it up with a far more sort of straight ahead rocker to kind of remind people, oh no, we aren't, we aren't just experimenting, which they did again with this album, Super Blood Wolf Moon. That's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, when I heard Dance of the Clairvoyance, I was very excited because I like, I, what I, what, what I fucking love about this band, Reasons, Reasons Renfrew loves Pearl Jam number 1037 with 30 years into their career, 11 albums into their career, and they are still doing stuff they've never done before. And Dance of the Clairvoyance was a wonderful tease into that. But what I'm really pleased with, with this record, is the majority of it feels like it's covering ground that Pearl Jam have never attempted before. And not only that, 
but the majority of it, pull, it pulls it off. The majority is really, really good. There's a few moments yeah. which aren't so great, which we will get into. I'd like to be as positive for as long as possible, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but the majority of the experimentation and the new stuff is fantastic. Really good. And Dance of the Clairvoyance is, is merely the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I think um, all of my favourite songs on this record are the ones that sound kind of, that remind me the least of what Pearl Jam sound like. Agreed. And there's, there's, plenty, there's plenty of stuff on here that does, that I do go, oh yeah, it's Pearl Jam being good Pearl Jam. I mean, um, the first song, Whoever Said, is a great, a great kind of yield era garage rock song, all kind of Springsteen vibes and kind of gritted teeth from Eddie Vedder. Um, has that bit where it all kind of you know the, where bands kind of go quiet and then they slowly build it back up again like it's a trick that's been done a million times but when they make a big noise it's great to like you know it's great to remember how great Pearl Jam can sound when they do noisy and I think it's easy to forget over the years I think people have sort of looked at Pearl Jam as the sort of quite uh, slightly twee maybe whimsical not even whimsical but like very earnest sounding you know the the uh, ukulele stuff and i think people often forget that they can really be make quite a racket and they really make a big old racket on that first song and it's not anything that i haven't heard before but it's a great rock song like just as an opening rock song it's great right it's a great opening it's a brilliant rebuttal to people. I mean, I, I don't know if this is what the lyrics actually pertain to, but it's a brilliant rebut for me. It's a brilliant rebuttal to those who say that everything's been done and there's nothing original because the chorus is um, mm. whoever said it's all been said gave up on satisfaction. You know, it's like it's really rousing and it's I wouldn't call it a straight ahead rocker, but but then it is very Pearl Jam-esque. I agree. It starts with a very Pearl Jam-esque song. Yield is a great shout. Yeah. I think the two yeah. records that Gigaton is most like in the Pearl Jam back catalog are Yield and No Code. Probably more No Code yeah, than yeah. Yield. Um, and yet, yeah. it, yet it still doesn't sound like either of them really. But it does. It doesn't. No, not really. Records. Yeah, um, and then we've got Super Blood's Wolf Moon, um, which. Quite a, again, quite a simple riff. Um, I think again, when you've got a vocalist as good as Eddie Vedder, you can do that kind of punk as fuck with like wicked backing vocals from Jeff Ament and Mike McCready on that as well. And but Eddie just kind of brings that song to life. And like you said, it's a bit more again quite a standard Pearl Jam song. And at this point in the record, I was like, oh, good, it's a record that sounds a bit like Pearl Jam, um, but a good version of Pearl Jam. Okay, yeah, I'll go with that. You fair, are you happy with that so far? I'm happy with it. I think I I'll, I will just point this out. Bit of a spoiler, but Super Blood Wolf Moon is my second least favourite song on the album. Right, okay. Which is very encouraging. I quite like it. Well, I quite like it as well. Mm. Very encouraging because it's, yeah. it's my yeah. favourite song on the record. So, yeah. And then um, th then comes the aforementioned Dance of the Clairvoyance. I think this is when the album gets really interesting because you have you have dance the clairvoyance which as we've spoken about um does like does a sort of like well it's, it, it sounds like talking heads it does actually sound like talking heads everyone's mentioned talking heads it there's no getting away from it it sounds like talking heads but it's great it like it, on paper that would have never worked for me but 
And when I first heard it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this, but it's really grown on me, that song. I really like that song. It's really good. Yeah, me too. I was, it was one of those ones where I genuinely, the first time I heard it, I went, is this Pearl Jam? Is this actually, that's mad. This is actually, this is actually Pearl Jam. And now I think it's absolutely brilliant. And that it's followed by Quick Escape, which has that kind of clockwork stoner thing like queens of the stone age do do you know what i mean um it's really good and at, at that point i was like oh shit pearl jam are gonna make a great comeback record or basically making a great record for the first time in fucking god knows how long the queens of the stone age analogy hadn't occurred to me but yes i totally see what you mean i really like quick escape again um yeah. a song that passed me by a little on um the first couple of listens but definitely one that's grown on me a lot in fact there's a lot of grower uh there's a lot of grow on this album i would say if you listen to this album once and are a bit lukewarm towards it stick with it because it definitely i've heard it half a dozen times now maybe seven or eight and every yeah, single time it's got better and better and better this record but yeah. quick escape is definitely one of those songs yeah. Um, yeah, I think Quick Quick Escape's are really good, and like I say, it's got that. I mean, it, it it yeah, Clockwork Stoner is the only way that I can really kind of describe it. It's got that kind of big Queen's riff that Josh in the way that Josh Hom does it, but it's all kind of clanky and mangled, and it's just slightly off time. And rhythmically, it's really really interesting. And again, not something that people rightly or wrongly would necessarily go oh that's a definite trait in Pearl Jam's music they are rhythmically very obtuse and odd I think they have been in the past but when people think of the big songs when someone thinks of Daughter or Alive or whatever they're not going oh what a very odd time signature that they've got going on there but they have that on that song and I, I think it's I think it's wicked that song I really really like yeah, it yeah I agree I think it's fantastic um, I think it is this point where the album uh peaks though uh or begins to peak i should probably say uh begins with a song called all right mm -hmm. which starts with us i'm gonna bring it up a kind of talk talk spirit of eden-esque vibe yeah. before yeah, yeah, yeah. once eddie's vocal starts though it's more of it sounds like a song that rem could have recorded around automatic for the people and that's quite a big we've not discussed rem all that much on this podcast but that's a pretty big thing to say right yeah i mean that's you're talking about one of the probably i mean if you were talking about the singularly most important alternative band that america has ever produced i think rem are probably it's between them and nirvana essentially isn't it I mean, I think Nirvana would probably just about come on top, but the fact that REM are even really in the conversation, I suppose well, Talking Heads would be in there as well, I guess, and maybe the Stooges, if you want to go way, way, way back. But REM are, are right in I there. don't want to go too far off topic, but I, I would give it to REM just because I think REM influenced the Rockers and the Indie Kids, whereas Nirvana primarily influenced the Rockers but less so the indicates. I don't think you can really argue that Nirvana, that anyone except the Beatles are more influential than Nirvana. But hey, that is a conversation for another time. Um, but yeah, but 
But REM are amazing, obviously, are one of the most important bands. And this was their commercial peak. And yeah, I think All Right is the moment where the pace slows, which I sort of expected. Sort of, I, I did expect the pace to slow a little bit, kind of five songs in. Um, I didn't think Pearl Jam were going to write a whole album full of, you know, kind of rhythmically challenging big stadium rockers. But it's a great song. At the age that they are at, I wouldn't want them to. No, no, of course, no, no. Um, I think All Right is a great song, but it was something that has passed me by a little bit purely because the next song, Seven O'clock, is much better, and for me, it's the best song on the album. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant, this song. Absolutely brilliant. And do you know what it reminds me of? I mean, some people will probably go, what? But it's got a bit of early 90s U2 about it, that song. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's. Re- I don't know if people will be able to connect those dots, but um, it reminds me of Stay Far Away So Close from Zeropa or Who's Gonna, wi- Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses from Acton Baby. Loads of kind of bath, bass and synth-led stuff with just kind of strokes, just kind of brushes, just slight washes of guitar. And if, I mean, I fucking love you too, obviously, as I've said loads of times. And that's possibly my favourite era of you too. And it just, it sounds like one of the more um, anthemic songs from that Acton Baby Zuropa era, which is an era that I absolutely love. Again, it's not usually the sort of thing, it doesn't sound like typical Pearl Jam in any way, really. But but it is, yeah, it's amazing. I think it's fucking amazing. I think it's the best song on the record. The closest, definitely. The closest it sounds... The closest it comes to sounding like previous Pearl Jam is their song Pendulum from Lightning Bolt, which also comes at the same point in the record, I believe. Um, mm. And I think they're similar. I mean, it's the only two times that Pearl Jam have really gone into this. It's a very kind of slow, almost doomy psychedelia kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that yeah. whole thing of painting brush strokes with guitars, absolutely. It's relatively avant-garde. It's not avant-garde in the same way that, say, I don't know, the body are avant-garde. But for a band who have been playing arenas for at least 25 years, for them to crack out a song like this... I mean, I I saw Pearl Jam a few times on the Lightning Bolt tour, four at least, and twice they opened with Pendulum. And it made for a really interesting, beguiling beginning to the show but it was also a kind of um nod to the audience that like okay we're gonna be here for a while so don't worry you know we're gonna play everything you want to hear but we're also gonna like spend some time chilling as well you know and i i I would love pearl jam to open some of their shows with this song i think it'd be fucking brilliant oh it's amazing this song it's so great it's brilliant um like i say in its simplicity but it's brilliant yeah yeah really really good and it's such a shame i think so at this point i was like this album's great like it's really really great um for me it takes a bit of a dip over the next few songs that stops it from being a really really great record i think um never destination and the long way 
are both kind of fairly bog standard rock songs. Um, I mean, particularly like the lyrics are sort of uninspiring on the, in the long way. It's a lot of, what's the lyric? I always take the long way that leads me back to you. It's just a bit like, yeah, you know, that's been said a lot. That's been sort of emoted. That's, that, that's been written a lot in the annals of rock and roll. You know, it just feels kind of like, I don't know, just out. They feel a bit like album filler to me, those two songs. I can't deny that. I will say that both of those songs have grown on me enormously and i like them both very much i think more so take the long way even though i do agree with you in terms of the fairly bog standard lyrics um but neither would be my favorites on this record at all but yeah they're fairly they're Mm. fairly standard straight ahead rockers at this point yeah um and then i think the record hits its rock bottom with buckle up Mm, yeah the only part of this record that i'm angry that exists uh (laughs) uh, which is an improvement on lightning bolt i'm angry that about half of that record exists uh but buckle up god how do you even describe it it's so timid and it's so just a mess wishy-washy um I half expect, you know, the animated hedgehogs that the government used to use as a, a you know, stop looking crossing the road, the road. Kind yeah. Of, I half expect them to come up at some point and just sort of it be some sort of advert for road safety or something like that. Um, I, I, it's a, a sad, sorry, comic relief of a song. It's just rubbish. I hate it. I really don't like it. It's the only yeah. It's a mess, isn't it? Sorry, it's a mess. I mean, it's a country sort of folk number that's got again this kind of slightly off kilter drum guitar part, and it just it doesn't feel like it. Never feels like a completed song. It feels like a rhythmical idea that they never got round to fully completing. That's what it feels like. It's got a slightly interesting. Again, it's not the most. There are some really, really great. Um, interplay between Matt Cameron and Jeff Ament, who I think might well be the stars of this record. They might that that kind of rhythm section might be even on an album where Eddie Vedder sounds fucking great all the way through, as always. Um, I think Jeff that the, does sterling work on this record. He's fucking yeah yeah, really, yeah. yeah. I, I I think the rhythm section absolutely kill it on this record, and then you've got what I think feels like a little bit of an idea that they brought to the band and nobody did anything with it. And it's just a mess. It's just boring. Like you say, it's, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't really feel like a completed song. It just feels like a, it sounds like an unfinished Eddie Vedder song. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, I really like Eddie's solo stuff. I'm very keen on it. I don't really like it when Eddie's stuff um, finds its way into Pearl Jam albums too much. Um, One of the songs on Lightning Bolt, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was just a full band version of one of Eddie's songs from Ukulele Songs. And it was just just not necessary. It's weird because obviously Eddie Vedder has... Eddie Vedder has written loads of songs individually for Pearl Jam, you know, Better Man and Nothing Man. And actually, I think Nothing Man and a Man. But, you know, he's written loads of elderly women behind the counter in a small town. 
And those yeah. feel like Pearl Jam songs. But yeah. um, Buckle Up doesn't. It just doesn't feel like a Pearl Jam song. Even even after, I mean, straight after Buckle Up, Comes In, Goes Comes In, which is just an acoustic guitar, Eddie Vedder, and a bit of female backing vocal. Now, that is super simple. But when Pearl Jam, but this is kind of a reminder that when Pearl Jam get that right, and I don't think they get it absolutely, you know, I don't think Comes and Goes is going to be up there with, you know, Better Man or Elderly Woman or any of those like classic or Daughter or any of those like classic, you know, Pearl Jam slow burning like absolutely incredible 10 out of 10 songs they've written it don't get it perfect but it certainly is better than the last three songs and it's so a million miles away from buckle up and eddie sounds amazing on this song his his vocal performance is luscious and brilliant and the backing vocals add some real sweetness to the grit that he he gives to, to that song and you it's a reminder of how good that can be not a reminder of them at their best but a reminder of how good they can be when they do that and it's just that coming straight after buckle up i think it again makes buckle up sound so shit by comparison and comes and goes isn't even pearl jam that's a you know that's for pearl jam that's a seven out of ten of, of that type of song i would agree um so i really i you know really like comes comes and goes um i might even like it more than you do by the sounds of it but i totally agree that it's mm. not pearl jam at their best and it makes Buckle Up look amateurish. So, yeah. 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 So there's a bit of a dip, and I think comes and goes kind of leads us leads the graph going back up again. And then I think, luckily, the end of the album, the last two songs are absolutely fucking essential. Like, just brilliant. Like, both of them are absolutely brilliant. There's um, Retrograde, which is this kind of Eastern-tinged guitar parts, um really kind of again and super emotive vocals quite simple but again when Pearl Jam get this stuff right they're brilliant and Mike McCready on that song adding some sort of hardcore punk rock grit to this kind of epic sounding eastern song um, just really makes it sore and there's again Veda picks Eddie Vedder is able to conjure soaring vocal melodies from songs that you think musically there could be no way to to kind of muscle your way in through them and to me like retrograde is what a stadium rock band should sound like it's exactly what they should sound like it's fucking brilliant that's a brilliant i love retrograde i particularly love the ending um it kind of changes on a dime a little bit three and a half minutes through it or something like that and just has this absolutely phenomenal, again, quite psychedelic ending. Lots of brilliant yeah. stuff from Mike McCready. Um, it is, the, it's for my money, and you might disagree with this because it sounds like you're going to say very, very positive things about Rivercross as well. But for my money, it's the last moment on this record where it is absolutely blindingly 10 out of 10 amazing. Oh, well, I do disagree with that then because I think River Crossing is actually better. I think River Crossing is fucking amazing. I think I think Retrograde is... The, the last three goes from a sort of 7 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. I think River Cross is absolutely brilliant. I Again, it's not anything that I've ever really heard, heard Pearl Jam do to this extent. A kind of Hammond organ opening, some strings, 
again Veda's vocal is brilliant there's a kind of quote a, a sort of choral backing vocal um but it sounds really positive i mean to me it sounds like joy division it sounds like joy division if they were an american rock band with a sense of positivity i think it's an absolutely brilliant and do you not think it's got that kind of really suffocating feeling that joy division had but in a kind of euphoric way to be honest with you joy division had not come up at all for me with this but now that you've said it i really want to go back and listen re-listen to it so i think yeah. there's probably something in that but it but it hasn't occurred to me as of yet but yeah that's a really interesting way to put it it's a great uh, i really like that song i think it's a great way to end and i like it very much i i do prefer retrograde quite a bit but um but yeah it's a brilliant brilliant way to end brilliant way to end yeah. the album mm. very very good i mean overall looking at it you know with the exception of that little dip just after the midpoint i kind of like everything on this it's far better than i thought it would be and it's certainly the best since the self-titled one um probably my favorite even going back to maybe binaural or yield wow um hmm. yes maybe which would suggest it's the best thing they've done in the last 20 years uh, i mean you can't say it's better than riot act because we've got to be on brand haven't we but um <laughs> yeah that's true yeah it's better than riot act to be honest um but uh yes no i think i'd agree consequence of sound um recently did a thing where they ranked all of pearl jam's albums in their opinion uh, because this album uh, was about to come out and they put this fifth um as, as the fifth best pearl jam album and you know i when i first read that article i'd only listened to the album once and i was like oh i think that's a little bit kind uh i'm i think that might be relatively accurate actually i mean fifth sixth maybe but putting it seventh seems unfair so yeah that's pretty when you've got a band who fucking released 10 verses and yield <laughs> you know and vitology yeah, yeah that's a pretty fucking high watermark so yeah, I, I'm yeah, really I, yeah, I, that I'm not disappointed with this record because I had a really nasty feeling that I would be, but I'm not at all. I think it's really, really, really good. Yeah, I, I really like it a lot. Um, I am pretty, so, so, yeah, I'm pretty stunned at exactly how much I like it. And like you say, yeah, it might be Yield Vitality versus 10... I like a self-titled. I think this is better than self-titled. Yeah, I do think maybe you're going back to yield for the it might it's fifth or sixth for me of all time. Which is mad. That is pretty mad out of, you know, and you know, a, a nearly a fucking 30-year career. It's pretty damn good. Uh so you're saying best album since 1998 basically. I think I am, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. Um, both of us, delighted and surprised, but how good the new Pearl Jam album is. Uh, that is Gigaton by Pearl Jam. It is out now. Um, <laughs> if you're a fan... Sorry, well, a quick question before we move on, Steve. Is this your favourite album of the week? Uh, yes. Yes. I think so, yeah. 
was my uh, was my favorite album of the week until yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that now then. So the next album that we're going to be talking about, or albums, I should say, uh, come from Nine Inch Nails. They, as Renfrey has just rightly pointed out, dropped two albums for free um, on their website yesterday. Ghosts 5, Together, and Ghosts 6, Locus. The fifth and sixth installment of Trent Reznor's ambient ghost series with Nine Inch Nails um, comes in together as a set at over two and a half hours. So if you're sitting at home with very little to do, two hours and 53 minutes. That's not right, is it? Surely. Two hours and 33 minutes. One, it's, it's 153 minutes. <laughs> 153 minutes of new music for free. That's nice. That is nice of Trent to do that, isn't it? Yeah, very nice. Yeah, very nice. Um, so uh, we've not really had this that long, although I, know, I feel like one of us has listened to it a lot more than the other one. Uh, so um, just as a, like having read, I actually did read a bit of the press notes, Renfrey, uh, for the first time in forever. Together is supposed to be about um, the, the communal experience and Locus is about, I think, things being torn apart, uh, basically. Um, I, is that right? I didn't is that right? Know that, but um, that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm gonna kind of defer to you a little bit on this because I, I like you know I love Nine Inch Nails, but I do like Nine Inch Nails doing bangers. Uh, I, I like Trent Reznor's solo um, material when he does sound and soundtrack work. I think all that stuff's cool. Um, yeah, I quite like that as well. Yeah, I like that. Um, but really, my favourite stuff probably is the, the angry stuff that they do. So, um, you know, I think the the first album is is longer and more drawn out. It's much more ambient, much more atmospheric. It's got a kind of dr- drone quality to it. Is it? Oh, it just feels longer then. Um, I just assumed that the first album was longer because fuck me. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's funny to be doing this the same week as we do Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. Is you can definitely draw parallels between the approach. Although I think Nine Inch Nails are being far, far less antagonistic uh, on this record than Lou Reed was. But it's definitely a mood piece. Like, to be honest with you, I can't you know two three listens to it i can't pick any one thing out of it and go oh i like that bit do you know what i mean i i, I can't really do that it's particularly for the first disc it does just feel like yeah you know one ambient mood piece which is good and fine but um it, it it's not my go-to style for nine inch nails sure admittedly um to be fair, you are probably speaking for the majority of Nine Inch Nails fans there, where you say that you prefer the uh, bangier dance floor fillers uh, to their ambient stuff. Uh, the kind of Nine Inch Nails, there's, I know you wouldn't say this, but there are Nine Inch Nails fans who complain that the Fragile's no good because there's too many instrumentals on it. Rubbish. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I love Nine Inch Nails bangers, um, but actually, if I have a favorite nine inch nails style i really fucking love their ambient stuff um my favorite song on the downward spiral has changed several times actually 
But I'd say in the last sort of three, four, five years, it's probably been and remains a warm place. Um, so that probably gives you an idea if you're a fan of the kind of Nine Inch Nails that I really like. Basically, the warm, song. yeah, wonderful song, but the 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 warm, ambient stuff I really fucking love. And Ghost mm. Five and Six is basically two and a half hours of that, more or less, with a few kind of jolts um, in there as well, but. This is pretty much what I envisaged and hoped the original Ghost project would be. If you recall, you've heard, you must have heard Ghost one to four. I'm assuming at some point. I have heard, yeah, yeah. Um, that was far more of a bitty project. I believe Trent Reznor and Attica Ross challenged themselves to write 20, uh, 36 songs in 36 days. So basically, whatever they had at the end of a day that went up as a track, and as a result. Ghost 1 to 4 is a really, it's an interesting project, but it's filled with what f sounds like half-finished ideas, to be honest. Um, this has less variety, but it feels more constructed. Um, it's more, it's, it's by far the tr most tranquil that Nine Inch Nails ever are, but if someone had come up to me and said, would you be excited by the prospect of a record that sounds like Nine Inch Nails covering Cigarose or Nine Inch Nails covering Kid A era Radiohead? I would say to them that that sounds like my dream album. And I think that there are many places where this album sounds like both of those things. Um, I think it's, it's uh, qu like quite a lot of albums that I talk about in terms of dynamics. The way dynamics are used on this record are amazing. Whilst it is an ambient album, I would really recommend cranking it right up because and like almost letting the sound embrace you. Um, whilst a lot of the record is very, very, very quiet. If you listen to those really, really quiet bits at a very loud volume, you can then pick out other little things which are so quiet in the mix that you wouldn't be able to hear them otherwise. And it really adds this builds up this layered picture i've yet to listen to this album in headphones but i can't wait to because i'm sure it will reveal a lot more um to me than it already has um in terms of highlights i i, I do have a couple of highlights actually there's um hope we can again is really serene but then punctuated by a somewhat sort of shrill note that's barely audible to human ears but it kind of it's this really beautiful serene track but then that tone really pierces and like makes you feel uncomfortable and queasy it's something that Nine Inch Nails do very 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 well there's a 13 and a half minute track called Apart which does actually it just sounds like Nine Inch Nails covering Cigarose which is just the best thing in the world as far as I'm concerned it's basically my dream song uh the Worryman Waltz sounds like Lemur version 2020 uh, yeah, Lemur yeah, is. I, I did, did like that bit, yeah. Yeah, Lemur is one of my favourite Nine Inch Nails songs as well. Um, when when this was announced, and when I heard it was a sequel or a extension of the Ghost albums, I was vaguely interested, and I I thought, okay, that will be a nice diversion amongst the other things that I have to listen to, and then I put it on, and I know this is far more a bit of me than it is a bit of you but i really fucking like this a lot um i think i, I think it's really interesting that we're doing metal machine music this week 
uh, because this is probably not to spoil that, but this is probably one of those albums that was massively influenced by metal machine music, uh, but mm-hmm. is a shitload better. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I don't think this record would exist if Lou Reed hadn't done metal machine music, probably. So for that, we'll get we'll we'll get to we'll get to, we'll get to that later. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean I I I do I, I quite enjoy um, the first disc, but I do feel like there's a long way to go before I really feel like I can give a proper opinion on it because it is way more ambient. The second disc, Locus, um, I, I I do like a lot. Uh, it's far more jazzy in style. It's got a touch of that Black Star thing that they were doing on Bad Witch with lots of brass and woodwind um, and that discordant piano. No one plays piano like Trent Reznor. Like nobody, the absolutely to just hit one key and go, oh, that's Trent Reznor. Like that is some fucking skill. The dude's a genius, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's definitely my favorite of the two. Um, kind of for me, more reminiscent of the soundtrack to something like uh, The Social Network because it feels a little bit more bite-sized and it's got a kind of sci-fi feel to it. Not in a fear factory, machines are taking over the world, electronic sci-fi way, but more in that kind of weird like it, which feels quite apt for the time this kind of dystopian isolation thing a bit like moon i compared it to, like you know to bring it back to david bowie with his his um son um directed that film and it's a great film moon with sam rockwell right yeah fantastic film um and the soundtrack that you are referring to is written by clint mansell who we featured on this podcast yeah it is when i brought the fountain yeah soundtrack in for you for trade off mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, I'd forgotten that, but I did know that. Um, yeah, and it, it, but it's got that same or similar kind of vibe to it, I think. And yeah, there's a song in it called "Your New Normal," which I think is really good. Like picking out a, a particular highlight, which has got this kind of spidery little glockenspiel thing going on. Again, it's got a kind of clockwork bits working together. You know, like the 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 whole being hearing some of the parts moving in isolation to create the whole of the the music is is something which i get a bit quite a bit from on on this record do you know what i mean like there's a lot of here's a part and then you can feel that part leads on to something else which is a different instrument and it's it's really lush and it's really like expertly pieced and threaded together so i do like the second album i feel like i do actually like that whereas the first one i'm like i i need more than a day with that definitely yeah fair enough um i mean there's a lot of passages on this record particularly the second disc i think um which feel quite hypnotic so it's repeated phrases that um repeat so many times that they just become a a fabric of the music and then other parts it's minimalism basically um and nine inch nails have always flirted with minimalism certainly since the fragile probably even earlier than that to be honest um but uh yeah this is just a really really good example of it i mean if if you were disappointed when you heard that this was a continuation of the ghost project, I would sort of suggest not being because I think this is far more sort of complete than the original ghost project was. It sounds like it's been not, not, not wanting to be too disparaging for to ghosts one to four, but it sounds like this has actually been worked on as opposed to just sort of, we've got some time. Let's, let's just experiment and see what we can do in a day, you know? Which is totally noble and a cool thing to do, but but this feels more complete. This feels more like this does feel like a record to me. 
I, I, I mean, I know I'm more of a cipher for this kind of thing, but it, it does feel like... It's difficult to say it feels like the new Nine Inch Nails album because there's no Trent... Well, the only Trent vocals on it are sort of oohs and ahs. It's predominantly instrumental. But it's a fucking great record. I I, re- I really love this album. I think it's brilliant. I think I'll be listening to this a lot over the coming months. Well, it's definitely the time to be listening to it, for sure. It definitely fits. Definitely fits. I mean, he must have thought like, oh, all my Christmases would come at once and I'm giving this away for free. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, it, yeah, it fits with the times. And it is good. I need a bit more time with it, to be honest. I need more than a day and a bit with this record, particularly Ghost 5. I definitely do. But I do enjoy, I think Ghost 6 is definitely the best of the Ghosts project. Will you return to Ghost 5? Yeah, for sure I will, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I've, it's only been out a day. It's Nine Inch Nails. Just to um, just to put an even fuller stamp on what I've just said, I um, messaged Steve just before the show and I said that I think this is probably my favourite thing that Nine Inch Nails have done since year zero. Um, yeah, and I was kind of gobsmacked by that. You were what by that? kind of gobsmacked really wow okay yeah um i think it is um i mean bad witch is the 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 spanner in the works for that but uh maybe bar bad witch but i i you know i really like this a lot i mean i really liked bad witch a lot we reviewed bad witch on the show and we (laughs) absolutely you know adored it and i am putting this up against bad witch and i i like it as much even though it's completely different but yeah i really like this record that's fair i mean i think i definitely prefer bad witch i I can't conceive of a world where i will prefer together a ghost five to bad witch at any point or locusts either i think bad witch is definitely more the sort of thing that i enjoy but you know i think both of these are uh are definitely interesting and it's fucking nine inch nails like it's not going to be shit is it no exactly i mean let's let's put it this way unless it, unless it's a slip this is the second uh well this is the second rock band to release a big electronic experimental release in the last six months um who are you know sizable and uh this is much more successful than that bring me the horizon ep isn't it yeah oh god yeah but then i think everything is isn't it well, yeah exactly but 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 this is this is this is how you do it you know this is how you do yeah, yeah for sure uh sort of free surprise drop interesting experimental record not not that mm-hmm. ridiculous bring me an ep no for sure um so there you go new nine inch nails it's free go over to their website now ghost five and six are available for you to download for nothing nada for free completely free just trent giving you two and a half hours plus of music what a lovely man um let's move on to our next record it is a self-titled record from milk teeth the second full-length album from the uk alt rock band their debut album vile child from 2016 is one of my favorite debuts of the entire decade i'd say but it's not been an easy time since then for milk teeth um Bassist and vocalist Becky Bloomfield is the sole remaining member of the band since that, that record came out. We've had two quite excellent EPs that followed in the aftermath of the record, but it does feel a little bit like commercially and in the press, if not musically, Milk Teeth have somewhat stalled since that 
excellent opening year or so that they had. Is that fair to say, Renfrey? I think they've had an extraordinary amount of bad luck. Um, and I really do feel for mm. them. Um, I have quite different views on Vile Child to you. Um, in, I know you do. Yeah, um, I think it's a really hit and miss record. I think when it hits, I think it's brilliant. Brickwork, swear jar. Um, but it is mainly down to the fact that I cannot stand. I mean, he left as soon as the record was released, more or less. But the guy who did backing vocals on that album cannot stand yeah, yeah. his voice. The backing screams. I just hated it. Every time he came in, it was like nails down a chalkboard. I just think he had a dreadful scream. So sorry to single someone out, but it really was that bad for me. Um, That's fine. He, he's, he's gone now. I wouldn't worry too much about oh, yeah. it. He, he's been gone for quite a long time as well. And also, you know, now we have M in the band from Nervous, who not only contributes mm -hmm. to the songwriting, but also is a far better presence behind backing vocals. Um, there aren't as many screams on this record, but when they are, when there are, they're fucking brilliant. Uh, they've also got Jack yeah. Kenny on drums, who basically plays for every Watford band ever. Uh, including the likes of Gold Key and Nervous, just brilliant uh, drummer and uh, lovely lad as well. Um, so this feels like, I really hope that this is the, I think it's the strongest Milk Teeth lineup and I hope it's the most, um, the one that stays uh, because they've had a lot of lineup changes over the years. It's been, they've only been a band seven years and already they're like, uh, lineups graph on Wikipedia looks bonkers. Um, yeah. But I think this, overall, I think this record, personally, is much better than Vile Child um, because it does away, and they have done away with the elements that I didn't like about the band quite a while ago. Um, the thing I would say about it, though, is it, it doesn't certainly initially have as many standout songs from the point that there aren't any brickworks on here or owning your okayness or swear jars or anything that really burst out of the woodwork as a, a world beater. Um, mm. Having said that, I think the quality is really, really high throughout. And there are some mm. brilliant songs on here. I think the three that I've highlighted would be given up. Uh, it's just a brilliant opener. Dilute manages to be sort of, anthemic and woozy at the same time i really really like medicine later on in the record i think all of those songs are great um but i think the record as a whole um is is of a very good quality and maintains that very good quality throughout whereas vile child for me went from absolutely amazing world beaters to not very good constantly on a seesaw I mean, I don't agree. I don't agree with that, obviously, but I do. Um, yeah, I, I, I think with the songwriting talents of Becky and M, I didn't think this was going to fail too much. Um, you've not even mentioned my favorite. My favorite is Transparent. I think it's a great song. I think the chorus is wicked, and what M brings to it, which is, I don't know how often I've spoken about this, but when you have basically two different choruses over the top of each other on one song, 
I love that. And there are so many times where M brings in a completely different vocal line, a completely different vocal hook, and then they kind of meet up again in the middle. And they do that amazingly on Transparent. Um, Destroyer, you mentioned the kind of brutal backing vocals. Um, I think the backing vocals might be the best thing about this record, to be perfectly honest. There's some absolutely wicked backing vocals on this record. Um, I, I didn't mention Destroyer in my album highlights, did I? Uh, which is ridiculous. No. Destroyer is my favourite song on the record brilliant yeah. yeah it's great it's really really good um i think the production is far less rough than the first album which suits some bands i actually think milk teeth kind of could sound a bit better sounding a bit rawer to be honest i mean it doesn't really bear that much resemblance to the previous album in in sound which is fine but it's just it still has a 90s edge to it. That kind of thing that I, I really loved about Vile Child was that it reminded me of L7 or Babes in Toyland or Pixies, whereas this to me is far more Ash or even Placebo. Do you know what I mean? It's got that. It's a bit more a bit more cleaned up. And I like Milk Teeth when they sound super raw. Um, so I'm in a weird position in the same as you, whereas I think Vile Child is fucking great and I love everything on it. I don't think this, like you, I think you're absolutely nailed it by saying this album doesn't hit you so obviously straight away. Although it sounds like it should, because it sounds like a much more um, uh, kind of radio friendly album production wise. It's not got anything like, I mean, I would pick out Owning Your Okayness from the the EPs that they released a while back. As I remember when that happened and I was like, oh, wow, they're going to go kind of full Dayglow, Green Day, massive power pop and that suited them really well. Um, I think this album's good, is what I think. I think this album is good. Um, I think, like you say, everything on it is good. Um, I don't think it's great. Uh, I, I've really thought everything they've done before is great. I just think this is good. I think this is very good, actually. I, I really, really like it. And I think... <sighs> Well, I certainly prefer it to Vile Child. I mean, ugh, I prefer it to the EPs. That's a bit of a harder one. But I, I do really, really, really like this. One thing I will say, <clears throat> which you sort of alluded to there, weirdly, I do think Milk Teeth sound more individualistic on Vile Child than they do on this record. And that's something to do with the production. The production on this album does make them sound... It softens off their Milk Teeth uniqueness yes that makes them the milk teeth which should be a bad thing but i still prefer the production on this album Mm. Mm. just to throw that in there really bizarrely at the end but but you know yeah i suppose i'm almost saying i should prefer vile child but i prefer this well i think this is objectively better but i prefer but i definitely prefer vile child i think this is objectively sounds better and i think it's probably written um with uh kind of more um mature and more uh experienced songwriters and and musicians but overall yeah i I don't know i just there was a really great energy to vile child which i think like you maybe sort of insinuated that is gone a bit and that, you know, that doesn't make this album a bad record. I think, like I say, I think this is a good record. There's nothing on it that I listen to and go, this sucks. This isn't a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, I re- you know, I just, I really, really, I like personally, I really loved that first record. And I loved the way that it reminded me of a bunch of stuff that 
nothing had reminded me of for a long time. And not only are they doing that, they were writing better songs than the majority of those bands that, you know, not better than the Pixies, but certainly they were better than... <laughs> it's better than anything L7 or Babes in Toyland or, you know, um, any of those other bands that came out from that scene around that time were putting out. And I don't know if this is better than the sort of stuff that it reminds me of like placebo you know or you know like um kind of charlotte era ash um and like you say it does make it sound like a lot more other bands other kind of modern poppy alternative rock bands um but it's good you know like it's weird because for me, the ner- like the nervous album that came out last year is way better than this, way better, and th- that still exhibits. Even though that's a, like the a kind of nicer sounding record, that still exhibits all of their personality, all of M's personality in that record. And I don't think this lacks personality at all. I don't, I, I really don't want it to come across like I'm saying that this lacks personality, but I do think. I can't quite put my finger on why I don't love it because it's not the songwriting and I don't really have a problem with the production. I just feel like it's not quite, well, it's not, it's, 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 it doesn't hit me as hard and it's not as, it's, it's not shocking or not even shocking, but it's not as surprising and it's not as uniquely surprising and full of personality as, as Vile Child was to me. That's interesting. I mean, I I would probably say the same thing. I just much prefer this. Um, I think, I think Milk Teeth Live, taking the best songs from this and the best songs from Vile Child are going to have a hell of a set list now. Um, and I'm actually yeah. excited. I mean, obviously, like everyone else's tours, the Milk Teeth tour has been cancelled, but I'm sure it'll be rescheduled. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing them live again because actually, I will say. I've only seen them once since they've had Em in the band, but that seems to have given them a real kick up the arse live as well. Um, so Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, you know, again, I think it's a good album. It's a good album, um, but it's just following what I think is a kind of, like, was a modern, a bit of a modern classic. So maybe that's why I'm being a bit hard on it and, and you're not. But definitely, I think this should be enough to make people sit up and take note of Milk Teeth again. And I really hope it does because they're, you know, they're a great band. They definitely deserve a second chance. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. That's the self-titled Milk Teeth album. It is out right now. Let's move on to our next record. Uh, even in a week when we're doing quite a lot of very unusual music, this is certainly for my money, <laughs> the most unusual record that we are doing this week. It comes from Igor. The album is called Spirituality and Distortion. It's the fifth album from the French solo artist who mixes pff, where to fucking begin electronic music, classical music, breakdown, black metal, death metal, opera, umpar, practically every genre that you care to mention. Um, I knew very little about this. Well, Sorry, go on. First became sort of renowned well-known for mixing up classical music with electronic beats bark break call, right. right that makes sense will. yeah yeah park, park. <laughs> yeah. yeah good i like that Renfrew. you've just invented another genre is that an episode title if you like yeah <laughs> i'm noting it down carry on you can keep it well well done um so i was a download a couple of years ago 
and I bumped into the dude who manages Perturbator and he was like, oh, I'm there with Igor. You should come and check him out, right? And so I did, as I trust his track record, as I like Perturbator. And the show blew my mind. It was fucking crazy. It, it was all of this stuff that I just couldn't quite comprehend put together. Um, but I was a bit kind of scared and for whatever reason, I didn't check it out on record. Having listened to a whole record of it, uh, this is as mad and as varied and experimental as anything I think I've heard this year, even Code Orange. Um, although the difference is everything that Code Orange does actually works. Um, not all of this does. But fair play to Mr. Gore, for because some of the stuff that he mixes in this record, you know, like, well, as you said, black metal to breakcore, Balkan, Baroque and classical music. It's pretty... It's a pretty crazy hodgepodge. It's probably the most crazy hodgepodge we'll hear all year. It's like a DJ Shadow record. Un- undoubtedly. Undoubtedly it is. Yeah, it's absolutely mental. Um, when it works, I find this very, very exciting. And when it doesn't, I think it's a bit of a shit show, to be honest. That's kind of how I feel about it. It gets to the point sometimes where I think you've got a bit wacky. Like it gets a bit kind of like, hey, look at all the weird mad stuff I'm doing kind of without there being any semblance of an actual song. Um, um, a lot of wackiness in Igor. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's mental. I mean, there's a song in it called Nervous Waltz that has a bit of polka dot and a bit of classical and this kind of grindcore thing chucked in and they're all kind of separate. So it just sort of stops and then the next bit will go in and it's, it's not seamless in the way that we praise again to bring up Code Orange, the way we praise Code Orange for seamlessly melding things together. This isn't really that. It just kind of presents something and then goes in a completely different direction. It's very, very wild and very surprising and quite untamable. And often that makes it exciting. Often it makes it just like, what are you doing? Yes, I would agree. Yep. Um, I think I think if you want to get an idea of what this record is, uh, I would probably suggest checking out the video to the new single for uh, the, the video for Very Noise uh, on the album. It's like a minute 45, something like that. Um, and it gives you a very truncated idea of what he does. The video itself is two and a half minutes long. And the video is a brilliant combination of Tools Schism and Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication, which I thought might right. amuse you. Um, but yeah, Very Noise is a pretty good sort of primer for what Igor does. Um, mm. I really like Downgrade the Desert. I think that's a fucking banging opener. Musette Maximum is Ailstorm, but done well. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, done better than Ailstorm, put it that way. Um, George Corpse Grinder Fisher of Cannibal Corpse pops up on a song called Parping which gives you an yes. idea of the humour of this record. Uh, it starts as a relatively standard death metal song, albeit cut up by Igor, before he introduces like 8-bit Nintendo core elements for Fisher to scream over uh, because he thought it would be funny. And, you know, it kind of is. It doesn't make a great song, but it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um 
I would say overall, I've listened to a couple of Eagle records. I've also seen him live. I saw him live at Roadburn Festival at two o'clock in the morning after imbibing far too much of the local um, uh, legal herb and uh, in the Netherlands. And it was far too much for me to deal with, frankly. But I think Eagle's sheer lunacy is his biggest strength and his greatest weakness basically the sheer idiosyncraticness of this album makes it um difficult to listen to in one session it's 55 minutes and 30 seconds uh which is actually a minute and a half shorter than the new pearl jam album but it feels about twice as long as that record because there's just so many ideas in it um but having said that i think the record is probably at its weakest when it's not going all out bonkers when it's when it's a little bit more subdued i think the more subdued elements are the weaker parts of the album it is when eagle goes absolutely bonkers that i think this record is really fucking strong mm. yeah i mean yeah i mean i think you know it, it it certainly sets him apart from everyone else because it's mad in a way that shit is rarely that mad do you know what I mean? It is absolutely fucking bewildering at some points. And it's as extreme as anything you care to imagine in terms of like how extreme can we make the, the turns? How extreme can we make the amount of stuff we fit into one song? How disparate can we make the two genres that we're trying to pull together? Like drum and bass and opera are not have never meant to be together they should not be together they do not but like why have you ever thought this is a good idea and oddly there are points where he puts them together and you go oh oh yeah that actually sounds all right so yeah i get what you mean but it's just that i suppose if you chuck enough shit at a wall some of it is going to stick and he has chucked all the shit at all the walls and a fair bit of it has stuck and you know if that sounds like a kind of a bit of a shitty thing to say like i was just chucking shit at a wall i don't mean that in a in a in a nasty way i just think you know the kitchen sink is in this fucking record and you've got to be i mean i don't think he's even that fussed about writing you know catchy things that are going to appeal to everyone i think he just wants to be all things to all musicians uh and you yeah you have to kind of and you have to praise the um you kind of have to praise the ambition you have to kind of praise the approach you have to kind of praise the originality if it's this or you know for, for like for metal's sake at download when download comes back in 2021 if it's this or just a bunch of other blokes with long hair in black t-shirts playing megadeth rip-off thrash that we've heard a billion times i'll take this all fucking day long but uh it's not it it doesn't always work unfortunately no i agree i agree um yeah no sorry i agree that was the end of that thought yeah i i'm glad you agree <laughs> i'm glad we agree um you should probably listen to this just to know what it sounds like i think yeah definitely i mean one thing one thing i will say we have been extolling the virtues of that brilliant Code Orange record, uh, certainly in the last couple of weeks, but really we've been wanging on about it for the last three months or so. And 
some of the techniques and meshings of rock and electronic music that are done on the Code Orange record, I think you could argue Igor has been doing for quite some time as well. I don't think this yeah, record yeah. is as um, revolutionary as that Code Orange record, but you have to give Igor some credit. I mean, he's been doing this for at least 10 years uh, and he's been this extreme and this um, <clears throat> idiosyncratic since day one, more or less. And probably a lot of people are unaware that he even exists. Um, but he's definitely a very, very interesting artist. It's just, I, I would, do you know what? I, I wouldn't trust, if someone ever came up to me and said, Igor is my favourite band, I wouldn't trust them. I'd be like, no, no. something wrong with you. <laughs> like, I think I think everyone should be able to appreciate this on some level, but um, I wouldn't trust someone who who said that like, oh yeah, this new album is my favorite album ever or anything like that. I'd just be like, how do you listen to this on a regular basis? It's insane. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's 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 fucking mental. It's fucking mental. But like I say, you know, if if you don't like, oh, nine inch nails if you don't like kind of ambient electronic uh instrumental music then you probably don't even need to bother checking out the nine inch nails album whatever you like you should at least listen to this because you'll you'll go oh god that's something there's there's got to be something in there for you somewhere surely so anyway that's uh igor spirituality and distortion our last album of the week before we move into broken records really really quick one this is iris order of the mind the debut album from the atlantan metal band although over half the band are originally from south america from argentina from chile and from brazil now when you think of atlanta and south america you probably think in metal terms anyway you probably think of mastodon and then you probably think of sepultura and weirdly I would say this is this is what that kind of is in a funny sort of way, isn't it? I think this melds the best of kind of stoner metal with the best of groovy, thrashy stuff. Uh, this is a bit of me, Renfrey. What do you think of it? I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. I think there's a really obvious um, comparison point, which I'm wondering if you're missing off purposefully or not. I don't know. I'm going to guess no by your uh, well, into that um is it gajira yes i think this sounds remarkably Mm. like gajira um but i mean that in as nice a way as i can possibly put it um Mm -hmm. i think this is their debut album isn't it yep yep and it's also the new signing by monty connor uh, a bit of a legendary a and r guy used to work for roadrunner records and didn't he he signed all of your bands that you like from roadrunner records in the 90s type of negative life of agony biohazard fear factory slipknot i could go on but i I will not well sepultura as well yeah got good ears monty connor so it's, it's exciting when he's involved definitely like without a shadow of a doubt um but there is undoubtedly a lot of gojira on this record um, it does have enough sonic diversity to keep me interested over the 40-minute running time, uh, something that I can't be said for a lot of other albums that have been released by metal veterans over the past few months. I'm looking at you, Silosis. Can we call Silosis metal veterans? They're five albums in. I think that's all right. Isn't it? If, you, if you want, yeah. Sepultura themselves. I don't think... I think this is far more interesting than those records, and it keeps my attention much longer than any of those mm-hmm. albums um 
I, I, I actually really like this. Um, I don't think it's phenomenal and it is being hyped up a fair amount. I think mainly due to the Monty Connor connection. Um, but I do think it's very promising. The trajectory that would excite me the most for this band, I mean, I suppose it's an obvious thing to say and you could make this comparison with every metal record that ever comes out, every metal debut anyway, but if Order of the Mind is this band's killer all and they came back with a Ride the Lightning equivalent, basically took the elements of this record and expanded on everything and went into more uncharted territory... Uh, I think this could genuinely be a really exciting band. It just depends if they go in that direction or not. I think the songs that get closest to my idea of what this band could be are probably Creation and Eons. Um, I think both mm -hmm. of those tracks show that potential. Um, but yeah, debut album, who knows? I mean, they might just do Order of the Mind Part 2, uh, which would be <laughs> fine, but not great. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I really like this. Um, I think you like it a lot as well, but one thing I did notice, Steve, you reviewed this album for Metal Hammer and gave yep. it seven out of 10, which I think is a little bit harsh. Um, um do you? For a debut album. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, maybe I'm thinking of it as, yeah, I mean... I think this is one of the best metal debuts I've heard for the last few years. I would have to go back to Vane and Conjurer to think of the last time I heard a metal debut that I thought was as good as this. I genuinely really, really like it. There's a song in here called Insurrection, which is crushing. Um, and like I said, I feel like, yes, Gajira is a good shout. But to me, I think if what, whatever type of heavy music you like, there is a sense of that on this record. And it's not reinventing the wheel in any you know in any great measure it's not you know going to be um something where you go oh my god like Igor, where you go how how did he even think about melding those two things together but at the same time when you take the kind of groove of pantera when you take the kind of savage um thrashy parts of arise era sepultura when you take the big hulking um stoner proggy riffs from bands like early baroness or kylesa or mastodon obviously being the big one um or when you take the kind of blistering weird leads of um the sort of death metal from like death or what trey does in morbid angel like and melding all that together and making just a real cool kind of hodgepodge of or even there's parts where it goes dave lombardo double time i mean that song insurrection the drummer on this album is fucking great he's got a real dave lombardo vibe to him it goes almost you know brutal to brutal truth insect warfare grindcore fast at some points occasionally like very very briefly but occasionally it does and He's got like, the singer's got a real Joe Duplantier, you know, um, you can kind of understand what he's saying, but it, it feels quite emotionally resonant as well. Um, I think they dip in, they dip their toe into so many different styles of metal, which feel like they're quite big and they're quite obvious, but you don't always necessarily hear them being stitched together. Uh, so I think it's really good, this record, really, really good. Um, but I do agree with you that I think if they if they make another record with better songs than this, then you're looking at the eight or nine. So you think this needs a little bit of a songwriting tune-up? Yeah, a little bit. I think the core idea of what this band is is great. 
but this is not um this is not uh, a beneath the remains yeah you know it took sepultura a couple of albums to get it right this is not a from master cirrus you know what i mean it's not a leviathan just yet they this is the album where they kind of i think they formulate a lot of ideas and, and work out how to kind of ping them together i think if they can do it on the next album by writing really really brilliantly memorable songs i think they're going to be a very very special band in metal i genuinely think that i think this album's really good but i think it's just what it is at the, at the moment is a is a fantastic set of ideas really well played um they need to write a record of consistently great songs all the way through I can't disagree with almost everything you said there. Um, my feeling personally, I think if I were reviewing this for Hammer, I think I would have given it an eight um, based on going back right to the beginning of what you were just saying. Um, you mentioned Maya and Aerozone, both of which for me, I think are nines. So yeah. Yeah. I'd say this is not as good as Maya or Aerozone, but I'd say it's one tier below those two records personally yeah, that's fair um which is how i come to my eight score but yeah sure but everything you're actually saying i pretty much i'm, I'm with you um we mm. could be looking at the future of metal or it might just be another band who release a quite good debut and then do turn into chimera <laughs> can, can it? well yeah yeah we could be i mean i really hope they do keep all of those elements in place you know i, I wouldn't want them to lose anything and this is what I worry. Like when you think of a band, like you know how much I spoke about how I, I like Destrage because they had all of these different weird things going on from James Addiction and Devin Townsend to Tech Metal to Meshuggah to System of a Down to Mr. Bungle and you know trumpet parts and xylophones and all that. And I loved all that. And then they to make themselves sound more cohesive, they kind of took bits of it away. And they still sound mad, but they don't sound quite as mad. If Iris were to do that on this second record they might write songs that are more easily digestible and possibly better and that fit better but i think they might lose something which makes them so interesting so i hope they keep everything from the stoner to the thrash to the groove to the death metal parts the kind of discordant bits the grindcore but i hope they keep it all all there they just find a way to harness it um throughout a record of of really 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 great songs and i think they can Yes, I agree. I think that's very astute mm. and I agree. Thank you. So there you go. That's Order of the Mind by Iris, their debut album. Absolutely worth checking out and it's out right now. So that is our reviews. We now move on to Broken Records, Renfrey. And I tell you what, I have to say I'm absolutely delighted that we got an album like this out kind of two records in out of the hat, right? Because at the moment we've got Streets and Sky by The Enemy and we've got um which is the second worst album ever made and then we have our worst album ever made six feet unders graveyard classics volume two i think a lot of people thought when we started this feature that it was just going to be us picking a load of records that we thought were rubbish and going ha 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 what a load of rubbish and laughing at them but that's not what this is supposed to be sometimes records are um critically hammered or hammered by fans and there's far more to the story than just haha that person made a shit record so lou reed's 
Metal Machine Music, released in 1975. Metal Machine Music, the fifth solo album by the former Velvet Underground man. I have to say, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, I don't really like the Velvet Underground that much. I don't really want to listen to them. I respect the um, the the influence they've had on popular culture and on music, but I don't really want to listen to the Velvet Underground. Your thoughts on that, Renfrey? I've never really... I, I think I agree. I never... One of those bands that I know are massively, massively important, but then I never uh, really look to listen to them. Um, they never really did it for me velvet underground i have to say and that extends a little mm. bit to lou reed less so um but yeah. i'm no expert in the velvet underground or lou reed i have to say i'm aware of the influence of both of them and i'm aware that a lot of my favorite bands would not sound as good as they do uh without him um but yeah i've never found a record that i've really gone with no, I always, I mean, I think Lou Reed's voice actually has a fair bit to do with the fact that I don't really like uh, the Velvet Underground. And, uh, and that kind of extends to his solo material a bit as well. Velvet Underground, that kind of 1960s avant-garde thing, always felt a bit fart sniffy to me. Uh, we spoke about early Pink Floyd a little while ago. Yeah, um, but I have always been at the very, very least intrigued by this record. At the very, very least, I have always been intrigued by metal machine music because what actually is it? Is it a joke? Is it the formation of noise rock? Is it a formation of no wave, of New York punk? Would Sonic Youth and Suicide and Mersbo and Swans and John Zorn and the rest even exist without this record? Was it made to alienate listeners who came to Lou Reed after Transformer and Walk on the Wild Side and Satellite of Love and Beautiful Day? Is it to fuck off a record label and get out of a contract? Was it to systematically created in Lou Reed's studio with painstaking attention to detail? Or was it the result of him randomly leaving a guitar plugged in and left propped up against an amp for an hour? Like, does Lou Reed even like this record? Does he hate it? Has he even managed to listen to the entire thing all the way through? Is this artistry or is it antagonism? Who fucking knows? Who fucking knows? There has been so much written about this record. There's been so much that has been debated about this record over the years that there are such a, just a huge group of things that we just do not know. There are myths and legends and stories and arguments and counter arguments that surround every single thing about this record from its formation to its reasoning to what it actually is, sounds like or is meant to sound like that it just feels like a massive fucking enigma. But here's what we do know. Um, it was one of the most returned albums in the history of music. It sold roughly 100,000 copies in the United States of America. Most of them were brought back to stores. It was withdrawn from shelves by RCA three weeks after its release. It was given a one-star review in Rolling Stone and in All Music and in Record Collector and in many, many more publications. It was named at number four by Q Magazine in their worst 50 albums ever made list and was included in a list of 10 albums made or the 10 worst albums made by great artists in 2005 and uh pitchfork gave it 8.7 <laughs> yeah. yeah of course well, they did I mean, i'm i'm assuming that's a reissue um but yeah, yeah it, it is, is yeah. the pitchfork review is very interesting um mm. i i don't think i've ever uh uh explicitly expressed it but i'm not a fan of pitchfork overall 
Um, I've you've expressed it. I suppose I have, yeah. Um, mm. I find them to be very namby-pamby and um, irritating a lot of the time. Giving this album 8.7 out of 10 is one such instance when they're just being difficult and annoying. But the review itself is actually really interesting and filled in a lot of blanks for me that I didn't know about. Um, but yeah, I'll get on to them. Um, okay, fair enough. I mean, this album has, you know, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier in the Night Snails review. It has been said to have been influenced the entire generation of noise artists, uh, everyone from the aforementioned Sonic Youth, um, who actually managed to do that whilst writing songs, by the way, um, to the German contemporary composer Ulrich Krieger, who reworked the album in 2002 with a 10-piece orchestra. That was actually the first time that Lou Reed played this album live, apparently. He was part of that uh, project. Um so yeah, there's all that. There's all the kind of stuff surrounding it. But what does it actually sound like? I picked out a bit from The Guardian. Paul Morley wrote this in The Guardian. He called it an intense collection of surreal object, hate letter, emotional outburst, poetic assault, bubblegum serialism, artistic bombshell, infected ambition, celebrity breakdown, creative exhaustion, sinister confession, nervous tension, practical joke, artistic tantrum and psychedelic documentary which is kind of accurate but it, it doesn't really help it what it sounds like is an electric hum for four parts over an hour i think well, right i think that guardian description makes it sound far more interesting than it actually is because mm. that guardian description makes me go oh i want to listen to that that sounds riveting this certainly isn't riveting um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pop to Wikipedia to try and describe this album because I think it's less um, emotional and convoluted, uh, and probably more accurate. The album features no songs or even recognisably structured compositions, a searing melody and rhythm for modulated feedback and guitar effects mixed at varying speeds by Reed. That's what it is. It's the first what it is. drone album, basically. It's a drone album. Uh, yeah, at least 45 years ago this year. Um, in the album's liner notes, Reed claimed to have invented heavy metal. I assume his tongue was in cheek when he said that, bearing in mind this mm -hmm. album came out five years after Black Sabbath. Uh, but that was probably exactly the sort of thing he liked to say just to annoy metal fans. Um, but I do think that genuinely, and he probably didn't realise this at the time, but I do genuinely think he invented a genre with this album. And it's, an, it's a genre that we have both kind of admitted that we're not really uh we don't really get i think the main thing i'm thinking of is the sun review that we did which i think undeniably mm. is very i think sun are undeniably influenced by metal machine music and debatably wouldn't yeah, exist sure. if metal machine music didn't exist mm -hmm. um but yeah, um, this to me sounded like an acoustic sun album. <laughs> I mean, acoustic isn't even right, to be honest, but a, a, an even less harsh sun record. Mm -hmm. So I listened to this uh, three times over a probably 36 hour period. Um, and, you know, it is, as you say, a kind of uh, an electronic hum for, for an hour. Uh, it does eventually reach a crescendo. Um something approaching music i would say by the end of the final four parts um i think most people will have given up by then which 
you know, feels like it kind of adds to the jokes. Um, if you're asking, I actually think there's a little nod to Satellite of Love on that famous kind of swirling outro at the end of part four. I think when you do get to that last kind of, what is it, three minutes from the end, there is a kind of bong bong sound, which... <laughs> I mean, it's so far removed from a song like Satellite of Love. But at the same time, I was like, no one seems to have, I looked through all the reviews, nobody seems to have picked up on the vague and distorted similarity between one of Lou Reed's biggest hits and the last two minutes of Metal Machine Music, um, which to me actually made me laugh out loud when it came on because I'd sat there listening to it for, what, 57 minutes and... It wasn't an entirely unpleasant experience, I have to say. It, after a little while, it does start to to wash over you. And um, I think Lou Reed spends most of the time kind of distancing himself totally from what he was best known for. And then right at the death, kind of reminding hardened listeners who it is that they're listening to. Uh, which is quite a cool little trick, I think. And I actually... Um, I actually fairly, I wouldn't say I enjoyed listening to this music um, and I wouldn't say I enjoyed listening to the record. Um, but, you know, I think there's an odd bit of dynamic surprise in it. I think you can sit there and listen to it aloud, lying on your bed and you can lie back and you can have it on. And when you get in the pocket of it, I think there is kind of a... It, it did actually feel quite nice after a while and you mean you can't say that about atari teenage riot live at brixton like i don't want to lie on my bed and listen to that whereas i could lie on my bed listening to metal machine music and after a while it's got a really kind of nice hypnotic quality to it so i can't even pretend that i you know i enjoyed listening to it far more than i've ever enjoyed listening to any sun album ever right so you know i think there is odd the odd like kind of good things about it um certainly i, I mean as yeah to pick up, just to pick up on that point i mean i think the people who like this record do talk a lot about how um the point of this music is to kind of hypnotize you into a state where you're almost not listening to the music but you're almost listening beneath the music for like um, other harmonies and bits and pieces that are coming in, which you can only hear when there is a lot of white static around. It literally kind of changes after a long time. It changes the way in which your ears hear. And I know that like Mogwai used to experiment with that, you know, early on, mm. uh, both young team and come on, die young have a couple of songs, which just end in absolute abject noise and misery which was basically, I think they're nod to this, you know. Um, and I can totally, there's something about seeing beauty in the distortion, you know. Um, and I think that, that that's how this is meant to be appreciated. And certainly after 20 minutes or so, I did find myself somewhat hypnotised by the repetitive drones. Um, I wouldn't call this a pleasurable listening experience in any way, shape or form, but I certainly didn't find it as traumatic as Atari Teenage Riot yeah that's true i mean i can only imagine the sort of confusion that this caused people um back in 1975 when there was no real precedent for this kind of thing um particularly from an artist of the stature of lou reed it's almost certainly the most daring record a major artist has ever released i would have thought 
you know, the stature of Lou Reed. I mean, nowadays, like we said, we do have some sort of contextual comparative point of view from which to view this record. Um, I mean, you know, in comparison to something like Sun, um, I prefer it for a couple of reasons in that I think I understand or at least I at least comprehend the intent. And I quite like the payoff as well. Uh, the sheer kind of Stuart Lee of it to drag it out for that long before some some music actually comes in. Um, and yeah, it does become kind of hypnotically rewarding and almost relaxing. It's, it's like enjoying tinnitus. Have you ever led in your bed after being to a gig and your ears are ringing and you kind of, after a while, like my ears ring like fuck when I come out of a gig and sometimes, and at first you're like, oh no, my ears are ringing. And then sometimes I can sort of lie there and I just go and the, the sort of, ah oh, of it actually starts to just, nod me off to sleep um yeah and so i could kind of lie in my bed listening to this stroking my cat um and i think it works like that would i want to walk out into the world with it on my headphones i think that would be hell i mean i would want not want to see it live i think you can let it exist in this little bubble of its own world and you can get something out of it and it's one of the first times where i've really felt like that about an album like this personally really okay um do you not feel like the nine inch nails album that we covered um has moments where it tries to do this sort of thing as well i think the nine inch nails album is okay so that's the good stuff uh there's the bad stuff on this as well which is i mean we talk a lot about range and dynamic surprises and there's really none of that here um i don't even feel antagonized enough to sort of hate it to be perfectly honest um no, neither do i i'm certainly not as no, worked no. by it as i was um atari teenage riot which i really which is half the length and i found really antagonistic yeah 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 so i i mean so there's that um i think nine inch nails on ghosts i think trent has tried to write a soundscape i think he's actually sat down and tried to write something about it uh, and tried to write something about it it's tried to write something it's tried to create a musical movement that is kind of pleasurable and pleasing i think he's actually thought about what it is that he's making yeah there is some sort of you know uh, intent about it i mean the problem with this record i think is that everything good about it and everything that i admire about it is theoretical like fuck you record label fuck you people who don't understand my art you know fuck you tropes of rock and roll it's somebody genuinely fucking with the formula of music great all that's great all that ideology is great but the music isn't what surrounds it is great but the actual album itself it's not great you know it's not interesting it's boring it's pretty simple there's no deviation all of the songs are exactly 16 minutes and one second so that shows it's either massively calculated or all just completely randomly meaningless i got a tweet from someone when we said when we were doing this I tweeted about it the other day saying I've listened to this record twice in a day. And someone said, if this album deserves to be in um, the category of worst albums ever, then so does every noise album ever made, which to me says everything about the limitations of that music. If that is literally every single album in an entire genre can either be a masterpiece or completely worthless. What does that say about that style? The true nature of music is to kind of show your true self, right? If these artists have such high regard for art, then why do they cloak it in so much that they're literally indistinguishable from each other? 
that every single album is as worthy or as unworthy as the other one. You wouldn't say that about reggae. You wouldn't say that about soul. You wouldn't say that about punk. You wouldn't say that about pop. You wouldn't say that about country music. You wouldn't say that about any other genre of music, right? So ultimately, this is a genre that is not really about anything other than the antagonism that surrounds it. And I don't really find that to be musically interesting, personally. I just don't. I think you're absolutely right. Um, what you were talking about there in terms of the myth and the story behind this record being the sort of legendary, awesome part of it, mm. I totally agree with. But the actual music, the content of the album is, you know... Uh, an electric guitar being fed back in a in a open tuning for 16 minutes um cut up into four uh, i think reed clearly knew that the story around the album was king um he said that some of his actions were antagonistic provocations such as the legendary liner notes uh alternately boastful and in incoherent where he says most of you won't like this and i don't blame you at all it's not meant for you. Um, but deep down in the heart, he protected at all costs and showed to the world only when he was ready, he adored this music. Metal Machine music was for him a perfect recording, taking his love of noise and drone and musical chaos to its logical end point. In 2007, Reed told Pitchfork, the myth is sort of better than the truth. The myth is that I made it to get out of a recording contract. Okay, but the truth is that I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't want you to buy a record that I didn't really like, that I was just trying to do a legal thing with. I wouldn't do something like that. The truth is I really, really, really loved it. So... And and listen, I, I think, you know, I didn't strictly... I, like, I'm not, the, I, I'm not the person sitting here saying about this album, you know, that you can either pick this album and it's genius and all the albums are genius, or you can pick it and it's terrible and that means all the albums are terrible. I mean, I, I have to say... If that's the truth, if that's true of this genre, then that is totally depressing. That is the most conformist, boring, regimented shit you can imagine. That is no different to those people that we take the piss out of that. You don't get it attitude in heavy metal, that gatekeeping bullshit. That is no different. And if that's what this is, then this this music, it sucks, right? It just fucking sucks. Um, I don't necessarily think you can aim that at at Lou Reed and certainly when you look at what came after it like I mentioned Sonic Youth and John Zorn and Suicide and Swans obviously being a big one like I don't even think that that's true or accurate a thing to say um but definitely for me yeah the story of the record is far more interesting than the record itself and the music seems to be a kind of a secondary thing to everything else that surrounds it you know what else that's true of? One Direction, the Spice Girls, the Backstreet Boys. All of those bands make music secondary to the stuff that goes on around it. I don't think this is as fucking groundbreaking and as avant-garde and as challenging as people like to pretend that it is. I just wanted to throw Five Finger Death Punch in there as well as a band. Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, if if the if the point of it is just like, oh no no no, all the kind of the way you carry yourself is more important than the way that stuff actually sounds. Uh, that's quite a. That's not really 
particularly musically interesting, is it? I didn't think... Well, it's got nothing to do with music. I didn't think you'd be able to Kevin Bacon this back to um, mid-90s pop. Or Spice Girls. You have. <laughs> Amazing. Well done. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just... It's just, it's just the Backstreet Boys for hipsters. <laughs> yeah, and you could argue bands like Sun are as well, I suppose. Mm. Oh, we're going to get a lot I mean, being angry about that, aren't we? But you know, well, you know, I, I mean, I don't necessarily. I mean, it, that is this is devil's advocate that what I'm doing here, as I'm trying because the actual album itself, I put it on and I thought I can understand far more than any of the other records that are quite as droney as this. I can, you know, I actually sat there and listened to it and I thought I can see how somebody would would be in the mood for this if they were in the right frame of mind and in the correct scenario. And like I said, I think the payoff to it when it actually does something approaching traditional sounding music, um, it's not it's not a horrible thing to listen to. Um but I don't know how often I would be in, in that in that mindset. But then, you know what, I don't know how often I'd want to listen to country music. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very rare. But it, it does occasionally happen. Um, I just the, think... You listen to The Drift once a year? Yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. Comparisons I, I, with The Drift? Well, no, because I think The Drift's got songs on it. I think it's got songs. I think it's got dimensions and dynamics and i think it's got intent i think it's created with genuine actual it's not the it's not the result of a random collection of sounds that are just kind of hodgepodge together and this is like this is you can't deny that it's not that's what it is um you can you can find some sort of enjoyment out of it i'm sure and you know maybe maybe you know the the kind of the genius in it is the fact that it's almost created itself like you know art creating itself that you know almost a photosynthesis of an album it's created at random and you know that kind of random selection is can be really you know can be really interesting I, you know like for me it's not a shit record i think people's opinions that surround it whether they be, this is the worst thing ever, or, oh my God, it's amazing. You know, what you said about Pink Floyd, bands of, which I don't agree with, by the way, but bands have taken what Pink Floyd did and have gone on and done much more interesting stuff with it. That's what this is. Sonic Youth and Swans are both really great. And this isn't great. It's just um, an interesting deviation from the normal world that you might inhabit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I totally agree, actually. Um, I will say I would have loved to have been alive and heard it in 1975 because I imagine it would have been... Oh, I can't even imagine what it would have been like. But mm -hmm. now I'm, I mean, it doesn't have that much impact for me now. Um, but in 19, I mean, to give Lou Reed some credit, it must have sounded insane 40, yeah. 45 years ago. Yeah, forty-five yep. years ago. Forty-five years ago. I mean, you know, we have to obviously rank this in amongst where the others rank. And for me, 
Um, it's clearly better at creating what it was trying to create than both the other albums that it's up against here. Six Feet Under is a joke gone badly wrong. Um, oddly, they've kind of got the same problem as Lou Reed here. It's just that they reveal the punchline immediately. Um, and the enemy genuinely wanted to make a kick-ass proper rock record. So for me, this at least succeeds in doing what it's set out to do. Therefore, for me, it is head and shoulders way, way, way above the other two records in this series we've done th we've got three in there this is six feet under is the worst the enemy is the second worst and then somewhere in the distance is metal machine, metal music. machine music completely and utterly totally agreed it it does and for exactly the same reasons you just said it does what it sets out to do and the other two don't hence mm -hmm. it is by far the best broken record we've covered so far I'm not recommending it, but it is. I mean, it's, it is it is our number three, but in reality, it's probably like our number 67 or something, isn't it? You know, I yeah. mean, we'll, we'll see yeah. as the weeks go on. But yeah, there's we'll now, we'll there is now a very large disparity between number one and number three, whereas last week there wasn't a very big gap between one and two. So it's starting to get no, a little bit more exciting, I think, the old broken record. It's starting to get more exciting. And in my hand, Rimfrey, as you were saying that, I have picked one out from the hat full of shit for that we'll be doing next week. So there you go. That was Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. Certainly, you know, hopefully that's a much more interesting record than the other ones that we've had to, to, to cover so far because, you know, a lot of it, I think, was to do with context uh, and what people were used to and what people expected from Lou Reed. So, you know, it's there because of the critical... Um, uh, the critical kind of battering it took but it probably shouldn't really be in there at all anyway let's move on next week Renfrey, we are doing oh my goodness me uh <laughs> this is one of the rare few pop albums like proper pop albums that have been put into this category we said we weren't going to do any terrible kind of shitty mainstream pop albums but we did put a couple in because apparently there are a few that are so, so, so bad. Um, Eogan Quigg, his self-titled debut album from the X Factor runner-up. Um, I've heard this, like someone made me listen to this and I, I put it straight on the list because I just couldn't quite fathom what I was listening to. Um, I don't think you, you spell it. Eogan? Right. Uh, you're in for a horrible time, Renfrey. A really, really horrible time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Eogan is, is, is Owen. It's pronounced, but I'm going to call him Eogan. Eogan Quig is self-titled. <laughs> there is a cover of Busted on that record, so it's sort of vaguely alternative. Um, I'll keep telling myself. But um, uh, Year 3000, my favourite. <laughs> oh i can't i can't wait um so next week we're going to be reviewing new albums i mean i don't actually know who knows who knows if there's even going to be a world for us to be living in this time next week let's 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 hope there is hopefully next week we'll yeah. be doing maserati thundercat and testament 
We will indeed. Um, and we'll be talking about Eoghan off of, off of the X Factor from the noughties. Uh, go over to musicism.net, put Riot in capital letters in the checkout to get 25% off all of your courses, including that new guitar one that they're doing. Very, very excited uh, for them. And we will be back next week. You should be getting a Pink Floyd special over on the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act Podcast. Get on the old classic album thing, uh, classic album series. It's been very well received so far. We thank you for your kind words and we thank you for your um, your your patronage. It's very, very nice and we're very humbled by it. So cheers. We will see you next week. Um, be really nice if we were back together next week, Renfrey, but I can't see it happening. I think it's pretty unlikely for the next couple of weeks at least. I think we're going to have to do a social distance for at least another two weeks. But hey, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. All, right. All right, cool. We will see you next week. Cheery bye. Cheery bye.